Do you ever think about utopia? Do you ever think about ethical dilemmas? Do you ever think about the other people on public transport? Do you ever think about the demise of civilization as we know it? Welcome to Do You Ever Think About? I'm your host, Merida Violet. And I'm Candice Jade. Today we're talking about memories. Memories and everything that goes along with memories. Um, you have emotions that go along with memories. Um, you have nostalgia, hindsight, the idea of forgetting things. And of course, the neuroscientific things that happen when you remember. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, when I think about memories, all I can think about is rage and bitterness. Dear listeners, if you do need to know why I am slightly more aggressive today, it's because I'm reporting live from the aftermath of a horrible newly formed memory that will always be merged from now on with violent fantasies about ripping off a certain gangly accountant's balls and thrusting them up his unusually large nose. However... (laughs) I do have many other lovely, less violent memories and thoughts about nostalgia, so I will <laughs> endeavor. <laughs> I will endeavor to talk about them more. But just, just if I happen to slide in an occasional "fuck that guy," you know why? I'm just coming from a place of surface level rage. <laughs> <laughs> it is a totally valid rage as well. I think that the rage and bitterness that we feel when we recall particularly hurtful actions that others have done to us. Um, it's, it's recalled with the same level of anguish, I think, that even more so than you experience when the thing first happened. I think it's like the, the memory of it is re-traumatizing in some ways um, when you've been particularly hurt by a person. So... Um, it's totally a valid way to feel, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing. When you, it probably hurts a lot more in hindsight for sometimes. I bet there's a lot of times where it actually feels less painful as well. But the thing with hindsight is that you're pairing it with all the emotions and experiences that that original event caused, and you're pairing the memory of you remembering that with the aftermath and the ripples of everything that has been consequence since in the intervening time. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think that you um, sort of uh, combine the consequences of the action or the behavior with the action itself, which in a lot of ways I think allows us to learn. So it's a good thing that we pair these things together because it allows you to maybe Um, Even if it wasn't a mistake that you personally made, it is an experience that you can learn something from, whether it's about, um, you know, oh, I I really shouldn't have trusted that person or, um, you know, maybe next time I am going to trust someone, uh, I'll try to 
I don't know, be a little bit more cautious, although I don't want to get into the territory of victim blaming because it's certainly not someone's fault when someone hurts you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I you just- can, yeah, you can learn from it even if it's not your fault and even if it wasn't a mistake that you made. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and honestly, like heartache and all its stinging sort of effects is an inevitable part of the human experience really and without which we'd all be paler versions of ourselves so Mm. um i accept heartache as a learning curve and i'm also going to take up boxing (laughs) (laughs) see this is this is making lemonade out of lemons right there Um, (laughs) yeah and on and like i wonder where where do you think the line actually draws from when something goes from memory to hindsight because I think that there is a difference between both. Do you think it has mm. to be multiple memories with the same sort of gist? Hmm. I think that the, the like, the memory is just, it's like the mechanical sort of, um, the physiological, you know, it's the file. Mm. It's like, it's like you, you've gone to the filing cabinet and you've pulled out the memory and the file is like the police report of what happened. And then hindsight is when you're making an analysis of that file. So Mm. it's like you can have the memory without any analysis. And, you know, you have like you have plenty of examples, I think, in both kind of uh, like social culture um, and history and also like sometimes in your own daily life where um, you have a memory of something happening, but you don't make the connection of like analyzing that memory. And so someone makes the same mistakes again because they didn't allow that memory to transition into an analytical kind of judgment Mm. about the consequences of whatever that action or event might have been. Um, So I think that the hindsight is like the next step in synthesizing the experience to actually like integrate into your personality and your worldview. I mean, I think it can be a really beneficial thing. Totally. Um, it's actually something I'm trying to embrace remembering a lot more now in this part of my life than I ever have before. I don't know if you ever felt this way, but when when I was really young, I just couldn't wait to be older. <laughs> and everything I did was like, oh my God, thank God, I'm 10 years old now. Like, I don't have to be nine anymore. And I just can't wait till my 11th birthday. Mm-hmm. And it would even, you know, even when I was 25, it was like, sweet, like I'm Basically, I'm maybe sort of an adult now, but I can't wait till I'm 30 because then I get to really be an adult. <laughs> um, you know, did you ever That's have really, that like, feeling? really cute. No, um, yeah. pars- partially, because for me, I always had a... I just wanted to grow up so I could get things to put in my wallet. I always thought that that was the... I think, I can't remember who I was talking to, but somebody said for them it was keys and just being able to have a really a really mm. busy key ring and just be like, look how responsibility <laughs> I have. I've got all these yeah. keys to these worlds and these portals. But for me, my whole like um, hallmark of adulthood was being able to open your wallet and being like, check out all these fucking cards. See this yeah. loyalty card for here? Here's something that gives me money. And this is cash. <laughs> look how many coffees I have had at the same cafe. I am a real adult. Yeah. <laughs> Watch me adulting and caffeinate. Please leave me be. <laughs> yeah. No, it's um, interesting. But no, I never really pined for 
um, to get older. Having said that, I've never had a problem with getting older. You know how some people mm. are really coy about it. It's like, oh, I'm just not a screwed yeah. chicken anymore. I really, it doesn't bother me. I like getting older, but I, I'm also happy to take each year 365 days at a time. <laughs> that's, that's and in a way that's kind of the only way you can do it isn't it there's no shortcuts honestly there's no I, shortcuts except maybe taking like a bunch of benzodiazepines and just sleeping for a week but uh and the, the appeal of that also the memories that you won't have when mm-hmm. you do that can be really liberating it can. Um, but but i actually brought that up just because i think the Something that I've been doing more that I'm kind of, I think in a lot of ways, 30 was this like cutoff in my brain for like, now you're an adult. I think a lot of people probably go through that, but I never really started looking backwards until I was in my 30s. And having that kind of nostalgia and I think that memories were this kind of painful thing in a lot of ways. It's like either I was embarrassed about who I was when these memories were made or I think back at a special time that, you know, now in hindsight, that was actually a special time. But while I was experiencing it, I was really unhappy. So when I think back on that time, I just think about how unhappy I was, Mm -hmm. even though it's like, yeah, you were in Costa Rica for four months, like on a study abroad trip. Why was that not a most amazing memory that you cherish? And all I can remember is like the guy that I was in love with didn't like me back. And that's all I remember about that whole incredible experience. It's like, and then I feel shame for having that be the thing that I remember about it instead of actually remember the wonderful friendships that I experienced while I was there. And, you know, it's just like a really weird, like... um, I'm trying to like change that about my own memories. Do you have that at all? Well, uh, part like that really resonates with me on, um, yeah, I do. I do feel like that partly cause like, especially with high school and a lot, I really look back with a bunch of cringiness for what I can remember, but I've never been a particularly nostalgic person just because I think it's kind of wimpy in a lot of ways. Um, Mm. And not to, like, if you want to be nostalgic and sentimental, fucking power to you. No problem whatsoever. However, I just always found it really frustrating to be around people that was like, oh, but what, like, you're on a Tuesday on a great walk and someone's like, how good was Friday night? It's like, that's great, but we're here now. So can we just, like... (laughs) focus on this but and the other thing um that I only found out really recently like in the past year because I always thought I had a shit memory before the age of 20 but it turns out that memory and trauma are really um entwined and it is only in a state of relax not relaxation but in a state not of trauma that a lot of people can cultivate memories and so a lot of my memories especially around what was going on which is really hectic shit in my teen years I don't have I have massive gaps in my memory from like the age of 10 through to 23 um, and wow. really only only remember a handful of memories from that time and it's good that I've journaled my whole life so I can revisit it but I found out um, with a psychologist that a part of that is because the brain is so protective around trauma that it really doesn't allow you to make memories. Um, or if you're on a, like antidepressants um, and you have been taken away the highs and the lows uh, from which 
memories do form the most is having an emotional peak reaction um if you're not having that because of a chemical sort of introduction which no judgment you take Mm. everybody take what you need to take to get well and function at your best memories are that's absolutely right fuck it (laughs) but like there's a whole bunch of factors that um that influence whether or not you do have many memories surrounding periods of your time and so because i've never really had a bunch um or i was drinking so heavily that i didn't want to remember what idiotic shit i got up to the night before nostalgia has never been a place in my life (laughs) yeah yeah i mean to some degree like i i definitely haven't had uh like really heavy traumas in my youth but you know pain is relative and i Mm. think that in particular you know probably between the ages of like 16 and 21 when I was doing heavier drinking and having a lot of cringeworthy life experiences I that's and also smoking lots of weed which probably does affect the memory recall yeah um they do say that yeah 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 they do I have heard that (laughs) um but I think that I think that probably I don't know. I wonder if other people have this experience because I do have a little bit of a black box for that age, mm-hmm. where there's a lot of I, I think back to a lot of times, you know, really, you know, which are very embarrassing memories for me, like remembering being extremely desperate and like, um, really like putting myself in really stupid situations with guys you know, being heavily intoxicated, like, you know, letting guys just basically use me in lots of ways, which even now when I say those words out loud, it makes me feel very cringy and very, like, embarrassed and just, like, it's a painful memory. Um, Mm. Also, memories of bad choices that I made, you know, I, during that period, because so much of my life was ruled by, like, partying and stuff, I had jobs where I was definitely not a very good employee and did dishonest things or mm. did just uh, just lazy, shitty things that I'm not proud of and I've, I've blocked those. I don't I, like to think about those times, you know, when I was a shithead. <laughs> I know, I, no, I, I hear you so much because, like, a lot, of, a lot of that period as well where you're, a, like, yeah, I, I did my great share of being a general scum about society and looking back and just wishing I could bleach my brain but Mm. we can't we can't bleach our brain um literally we can do things to stem it's yeah it's cognitive ability but yeah (laughs) we can yeah we we can just dull it with persistent drug use and Mm. just forget those things forever is that what you're advocating just mush your brain up with persistent drug no i'm joking advocating is a strong word no No. i'm saying let's bring back lobotomies no yes yes well i i actually this kind of does lead into a little fun factoid that I found about Please. memories. Yeah. <laughs> Just on the topic of trauma and memories is quite interesting. But um, there um, was a, a bit of really interesting research that came out in 2013. Um, and if anyone is interested, um, it's from an article in the MIT Technology Review called Repairing Bad Memories by Stephen S. Hall. It was from uh, June 17th, 2013, if anyone's interested. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it was a study that found that memories are not unchanging physical traces in the brain. Instead, they are malleable constructs that may be rebuilt every time they are recalled. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially saying that, you know, when you're remembering something, you're not remembering exactly the event that happened except for the first time. Then the second time you remember it, you're actually just remembering the last time you remembered it. Mm. Um, And this idea has been kind of the basis for a lot of new ways that they're treating um, people with post-traumatic stress disorder and other sort of traumatic memories because, um, and you might have heard about some of the like psilocybin or other psychedelic research um, with MDMA, Mm. where they're giving people these psychedelic drugs in really controlled settings and walking them through these traumatic memories. But in the process of walking them through that traumatic memory, when they're under the influence of a psychedelic that um, can allow them to sort of put distance between themselves and that memory, Mm -hmm. um, then the next time they remember it, they're going to remember that a safe and controlled environment in which they were remembering that event rather than the sort of aimless and very terrifying experience of dealing with it on your own. I think that also like speaks a lot to the practice of meditation to treat a lot of painful memories as well because the practice of meditation is being able to put that what what triggered uh put that distance like you say between Mm. Uh, individual and the experience and emotional trauma that they might experience when recalling a memory and the practice of meditation and doing that although it sounds like um, these psychedelic treatments and all that would be used for much more intense or super traumatic sort of crazy uh, cases but on a much lesser and more widespread scale I think that's part of what uh, the practice of meditation is, is about is learning to put a bit of distance between the feelings that you have and a memory that you have so that you're mm. able to observe something and not be slave to it and the emotions that it brings up immediately and you have got the choice of being able to be like that sucked but I'm not going to allow myself to be totally drawn in and for that to be the uh the gateway to a depressive episode for a week mm. that's actually such a good point I think that is the that's like that's a really good point, just the idea that the memory and the emotion are kind of two separate things. And when we have these peak emotional experiences, that's when the memory gets really uh, solidified in your brain because it was a peak emotional experience. Yeah, and I think um, as well... Oh, sorry. Um, I think no, no, that's well okay. That not just... Because when memories get so big and so fierce and so prickly and painful to navigate a lot of the time that memory is not just the emotion around it but the stories and narratives that have been surrounded it like forever if it is a room like I'm just going to say it if it is a romantic another romantic sort of letdown and you think about that memory and then you inject it with all sorts of narratives that are saying like it's because you're worthless and unlovable yes. and all that sort of stuff and you attach all these really spiky shit that actually has nothing to do with that memory anyway to something It's like value judgments. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you don't have a hope. You're just trying to shoot yourself in the foot. (laughs) (laughs) Why do I ever try anything? Because this is the result, you know? Yeah. Those kind of stories. Yeah. Yeah. What happened last time when I tried to peel a banana and the banana ended up on the ground and I don't know why I even bother with fruit anymore. (laughs) Yeah. 
is a oh, euphemism like, for my love life. <laughs> <laughs> in this in this story, the banana is a penis. Yeah. <laughs> It's a metaphor crazy. for a it's penis. It's so obvious, but I didn't think of that straight away. <laughs> what else could it be? Yeah. Uh, but, that's, but that's, I think that's like, that's such a good point though. I think that when you, that's the like, it's both the beauty and the curse of memories and remembering stuff, which is that like, it's not so much the memory itself. It's about the narrative that you infuse it with when you remember it. You know, it's not that initial event. It's the it's the remembering of it that gives it the meaning and that gives it the story. And I think all of these things that we just mentioned, like meditation, which allows you to be a little bit more aware of and potentially even more in control of the value judgments and the um, meaning that you're attaching to events and behaviors, which on their own just exist right like it's Mm -hmm. just something that exists it's just something that happened and whether you think it's good or not is based on your own emotional attachment that you're putting on it capital Um, t for true you're absolutely right because yeah the thing is have you ever had that thing happen where it happens a lot more with family i feel than with friends because you get a chance to actually be really honest with family about stuff like this and you probably don't get the chance to be as candidly honest as with friends to have these conversations but have you ever had an instance where you and somebody else both remember the same thing from wildly point like different points of view because of the values and the narratives that were involved yes. with that particular event yes well this is actually going back to what I was what made me sort of reflect is that so I when I was saying I never used to really reflect on stuff very frequently and I was hanging out with a girlfriend this was the a few years ago when I was back in the States visiting a girlfriend, a uh, really close friend, and we had gone out and had a few drinks and we came back to the house and we were a bit giggly and tipsy and she was like, let's look through old photos from when we were in college together because we went to uni together. That's how we knew each other. And she loves to reminisce and like get out the old photo album all the time. And on Facebook, she was constantly like resharing old memories and I would just scroll past them because I would look at those photos and be like, oh, that reminds me of the night when I was really sad because I got rejected by this boy. Or that reminds me of the time when I was really sad because I was super self-conscious about the way that I looked. And like every time I would look at those memories, all it was was just making me feel like basically like, oh, thank God that time in my life is over. And it was and I was never recalling it with any sort of nostalgia or happiness. And we sat down. And started looking through these photos and she was pulling up these same photos, which I would look at with like disgust or shame or embarrassment. And she'd be like, remember that night? That was the night that you did this and it was so hilarious and we all loved you, you know? And I'm like, oh, that's weird because to me, it's just the night that I was stupid and looked fat in my dress, you know? <laughs> like That kind of, it's really, it is so much about the, um, the state of mind that you're in. I don't know, like when you're recalling that memory. So yes, I have had that experience plenty of times. It's kind of, do you know that song, um, Let the Bodies Hit the Floor? Oh yeah, (laughs) Drowning Pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let the Bodies Hit the Floor and It's Raining Men could actually be about the same event, (laughs) but from wildly different perspectives. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Uh, I think I read that somewhere on like Tumblr ages back, but it's um, very relevant to what we're talking about. It's so relevant. 
<laughs> it is. We're talking about framing of things. And, you know, like the um, even even with like, you know, you think about history, like history is written by the victors. You know, mm. that idea that it's the person who or the who, people that knew how to write. Yeah, exactly. It's the person who lived to to tell the tale is the one who gets to frame how it's how it's written, e- even from the most sort of, um, you know, quote unquote, objective perspective. Well, your life experience creates what you believe is objective. And, um, ooh, and sorry, but in full disclosure, if I was writing a story and I'd killed a bunch of men and women and children to get there, I'd probably omit that if I was writing about my own victory. <laughs> That's right. And if, it, and if, and it exa- especially if the quote unquote justified reason that you were killing all these other families was to protect your own family, then you're going to tell the story about how brave you were to protect your own family. I mean, it's almost like kind of like, yeah, duh, that's the way our brains that's the way our egos allow us to like live with having done shitty things is to justify it because in the end it all worked out because in the end I saved my son or whatever. Um, so how do you, how can you even tell a story? How can you tell a history without um, falling trapped to that? I don't know. Like I, I don't really think don't it's know. possible at all. And I think it's what, um, and the other thing is, is I think that that's one of the beautiful things about humans is we are completely biased and all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of part of our ridiculous charm. I don't mm. think that we are capable of being able to see something completely objective. Um, because you don't ever know what somebody else is thinking or someone else's mo- like someone's motivation is. Um, part of the charm is is that we're not psychic, and so we don't know what is actually going on. We can only talk about our perspective. Yeah. Um, and so, unless you are the type of person willing to document that or able to document that, and for that documentation to be able to s- sustain the test of time or even be interesting yeah. enough for somebody else to read. Like, good fucking luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what's the, I, this made me, I was thinking about like, hmm, I wonder if maybe this issue, this sort of question about the framing of history and like collective memories, how is the uh, accessibility to like recording devices and cameras maybe changing that? And also the idea of like live, um, you know, live streaming a, uh, uh, police shooting as it's about to happen, you know? Um, so I'm going to pull up another bit of little thing that I found in yeah. my research just because I thought it was so interesting. Isn't, but That's, that's um, such an interesting point, yeah, because making it so much more accessible and so many more ways where you don't have to just rely on uh, getting ink and paper and being able yeah. to write means that so many more s- stories and history is going to be so much fuller, which is cool. But what if there's a, like... Yeah. Well, and then who's going to keep those records, though? You know, who's going to keep those records? What is it titled? You know, it's like even 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 with that, even when you just have raw video footage, um, are we going to see it? What happened right before that person started filming? Well, you know, and the problem is, is making it so accessible means that it's so widespread, which makes it meaningless. The Mm. fact like there's Mm. so much if we could have access to all the footage that's ever happened in the world ever. Um, so much you wouldn't be able to get through it, and it loses meaning because you're not nobody's. There's never going to be an audience for all of it. So in yeah. a way, maybe 
history is meant to be lost. It's, it's <laughs> almost like it's almost like the only way that it's even helpful to have that information is if it's easily searchable. You know, it's like you need to be able to access it for it to have any value at all. Like I think about our our client mis- management system at work, which is like um, we've got this really wonderful system. It's very smart and very intuitive. But if you don't put the right spelling of a person's name in the title of the PDF, then you might as well not have the fucking PDF mm. because – it's just another of 20,000 documents that we have in that file. And if you haven't titled things correctly. So then, like, you know, it makes you wonder, like, oh, in the categorizing of things, can that be subject to, like, being um, rewritten in a way that favors a particular worldview, you know? Um I want to read about, I want to just yeah, tell, <laughs> another fact. Sorry to um, I, interrupt. You just got me. Excited. No, that's okay. <laughs> this is, this is great. This is, uh, this, uh, listeners, I hope no one gets bored with my absolute obsession with like fun factoids, but, um, I was reading last night about this guy, this German guy named Leopold von Ranke. Is I think that's how you say it. the pig? No. Oh, Okay. Don't worry okay. about it. <laughs> well, this might be a... <laughs> Tell me about the pig chaser next, oh, though. Oh, it's just the news. Apparently this. a German tourist um, chased a pig, a wild pig that stole something. Oh. I, I, I hope the listeners, Banana. if they do love your factoids, also love my wildly um, irrelevant... <laughs> Chip. You, you've got the like you've got the like bizarre news story factoids in your brain that are really good very it's just a picture that i'm seeing of a man in a speedo chasing a big pig with a bag in I'm its sure. mouth so that um yes chew on that intellectual uh meal if you will yes <laughs> no yeah, please hit right. us with a fun factoid love it well anyway no this guy leopold so he was i think um, you know, history doesn't really remember him as a great guy because he was incredibly racist and anti-Semitic and, you know, everything that most sort of upper class white people were in the 1800s. Sorry. But in the 18, 18- he was a German historian and he was kind of viewed as like the guy who first made the study of history actually scientific because before that history sort of was always um, told, you know, through the lens of like a person's diary or, uh, you know, government papers that might have been exchanged. And that and that's all great. That gives you some context and information. But he sort of popularized the idea of like history is actually what happened <laughs> um, and not just someone's recounting of it, which seems like a really obvious thing. But this totally modernized like journalism and history writing and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I thought he said something that was really interesting. Basically, his ideas can kind of like be synthesized down to these three things, which is that there's three kinds of history. There's the actual event, and he says, the details of which are lost forever, which is hilarious because this is the 1800s, obviously, before they had everyone had a camera in their pocket. Mm. Um, so now the actual event, the details of which are not lost forever. Um, and then there's the reconstruction of the event, which can only be done through painstaking research and thorough verification of the accounts. And you have to be really careful that you know your sources and everything. 
And then there's finally the history that gets written in the books, which is put there by the people in power to promote a certain viewpoint or message and is almost always wrong. Mm. Well, <laughs> that's comforting um, to know yeah. that he came in. Yeah, like it's pretty comforting to know that everything pretty – when, when do you think we started putting like cameras in our like pocket? It would have been like early 2000s. So it's great yeah. to know that everything before then should be ignored. Which is probably wrong. I mean, but it was, right? Like, I mean, think of it kind of, I mean, I can't think of a single event, at least from American history, which is what I know really well. Um, You know, I had to basically relearn American history once I sort of, you know, realized that, oh, actually, like a lot of these stories only make sense if you were like a white, wealthy, landowning male. And, you know, the experience of being an American was not that if you were from a different demographic group, for example. Well, I don't know. hold up. Are you trying to tell me that colonists have things to hide? Oh, wait, <laughs> I've got to break it to you. <laughs> I've got to break it to you. Colonization was actually quite a bad experience for many people. <laughs> No, I've actually heard that as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, so it, you would not believe it seemed to happen everywhere that there was. Look, if, if you could believe this, when Captain Cook discovered Australia, there were actually already people here. So I what? guess you could say he no, didn't really discover it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um. Again, it comes back to the whole because, like, I, I wonder how much in history that people like. Um, like the Captain Cooks, who's in a uh, what do you what would you say an island months away month like can you imagine how long it would have taken to get to Australia by boat mm. back in the day? Ugh, makes me sick. But years, like I don't like. Oh, go I on. I was saying like that. years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, and especially because they didn't know where they were going, they were just sort of hoping mm. for the best. It wasn't like the spirit of Tasmania where they've got a pretty good. <laughs> route yeah. they were just kind of hoping for the best but if i was captain cook um and had come somewhere and i think a lot of people were very aware that history can be kind of zhuzhed up a little bit because who the fuck is gonna check it these convicts mm. these drunk yeah. convicts like yeah. no one's gonna believe yeah. them i would like i wonder how much in history is not just wrong because it is um can't be fact-checked and it could kind of go from whoever's sort of experienced in the weird whoops uh chinese whispers that have like happened as a result of that but i reckon that there is a fair amount of people just being like just just saying whatever like just Mm. just because they know that it won't be fact-checked and they want to sound really cool for the queen so that she gives her another boat yeah or like or like there's or they're out of shame you know or embarrassment for like their actions like think about how wrong were we were we just talking about this on Wednesday? How how the polling in America after the 2016 election was so wrong because a lot of people were embarrassed to say that they were going to vote for Donald Trump, just and so they just about, lied. They lied about who they voted for. Oh, just think about like how many times you personally have deleted something mm. that you said on Facebook or off Instagram because it didn't get the reaction that you were looking for, and so yeah. it was like. <laughs> yeah. oh no delete, delete, i didn't delete. say that like, and and it's fair to say that that feeling of embarrassment when something it doesn't go down as publicly um victorious as you were hoping for i'm pretty sure that's built into human behavior and didn't just come around with 
smartphones. But I could be wrong. I don't know. Well, I wonder what the what would the like evolutionary biological sort of uh, advantage of that be? You know, uh, like we have a like of embarrassment in particular, and like that kind of regret. Yes, yes, Candice. Like yes, yes. Uh, so if you can't <laughs> see, I'm putting up my hand. Oh, she, she's raising see. her hand. Uh, but like <laughs> it's uh, social survival because you need to you need to have the approval of your group or else you will mm. die because you can't survive by yourself. Apparently that's also why public speaking is such an innate fear for so many people because you would only in traditionally in an evolutionary sense, you would only be public speaking if you were the chief or if you were defending yourself um, and trying to convince the rest of the clan or tribe not to kill you. It is not a to eat you, of, kill you. So, yeah. <laughs> Or that you've done something wrong and that you're in some way on trial, for lack of a better word. So I imagine mm. that our sense of social embarrassment comes from that very, very basic need for having the people around you to support and encourage and at least stand by you because you'll die by yourself. Well, you used to. Now you can just get Uber Eats and you don't have to yeah. anyone. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, also probably those feelings I wonder too if like a uh, sort of retrospective shame and embarrassment maybe is part of like maybe the evolutionary purpose of that is to because that hurts so much and and the thing that you did that was embarrassing or shameful was actually the wrong thing mm. you know like be- before before we had these social structures that made us feel embarrassed for like wearing the wrong shoes which is completely not a life or death situation oh versus, i don't know about that well <laughs> i mean have you seen some of these girls look at my boot all right yes. sorry. <laughs> no no Continue, that's okay please. but you know sort of um before we had these social structures that made us feel shame and embarrassment for just cultural reasons if you had a situation where someone felt embarrassed because they stole something from the community chest, you know, they took they took more food than they should have taken and you feel shame and embarrassment because you did something that's wrong and you hurt the community. That's like an innate that that feeling will help you discourage you hopefully from doing that bad thing again but like once again I'm just wondering like do we have a misplaced sense of this reaction which did serve an evolutionary purpose long ago but now it's like getting activated for like these dumb social conditioning things well you know i would just i and i totally i think that that like most of our evolutionary um behaviors that have lingered on are now totally misplaced and misused but just to uh go back quickly i think the upside uh not the upside the flip side dear listener it's not just like to feel embarrassment and shame, but with nostalgia, um, those lovely feelings of warm fuzzies and all that when you feel about things like community or family or the friends that you have around you, I think both serve in tandem for the same goal, which is on the one hand, you feel guilt and shame when you forget about, um, when you feel like you have wronged or been disingenuous with these people that you also feel nostalgic positive Mm. feelings about work in tandem i think to make sure that we are surviving as a tribe nowadays all that shit is just going haywire because everything's a sensory overload trying to program you to buy shit and hate everyone (laughs) it's so true it's It's hard (laughs) yes 
And like even nostalgia. It's like I can't trust nostalgia now. Like how much of this, um, you know, why, am I just looking back fondly on the, you know, things that happened to me in my childhood because there's a huge consumerist capitalist push right now to have nostalgia for the 80s and 90s? Like – you know, even those feelings get co-opted by our corporate overlords so that all of a sudden I look back on um, the toys of my childhood, those, you know, tokens of consumption from my childhood and feel a warm and fuzzy nostalgic feeling like I'm looking at an old friend when I'm looking at a piece of plastic shit that was a piece of plastic shit in the 90s and it's still a piece of plastic shit in today that's going to end up in the Pacific garbage patch and yet I feel closely nostalgic to that as if it's an old friend. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, is that a manufactured feeling? Yeah, know. well, I'm sure it is like a very... Well, I definitely think it was like a... There was intent to the marketing behind those toys. Mm. Um, it's weird. It's weird to think because I think... Uh, Music is a weird one because, like, that's mm. so entwined with, like, that's the thing. I'm not even sure if I enjoy half my memories or if it was just a sweet soundtrack playing at the time. So when I hear <laughs> the soundtrack, I was like, you know what? Year 7 wasn't that bad because Lady Marmalade was kicking ass on the charts. Oh, like, my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Along with Three Doors Down, Kryptonite. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> that's when I was in Year 7, just so everyone knows. Yes. Um, but, like... I've, who knows how you actually feel about anything because a bunch of things yeah. are just kind of like spruced up because of who you were with or the clothes you were wearing or like basically what I'm trying to say is everything shit don't yeah. <laughs> try and forget everything as quickly yeah. as possible once again if you don't remember anything you'll never feel embarrassed you'll never <laughs> feel ashamed <laughs> But that's actually on the topic of music. That actually is a really that's something that I think about um, again on this path, on this track of nostalgia and reminiscing that I've embarked on. You know, during the lockdown in particular, I've revisited old music that I grew up with and used to love listening to. Um, what and do what you would ever you say is a what's been the top rotation? What's been the best revisit? Oh, oh. Built to Spill, You in Reverse, that album. Now, I'm not even embarrassed about that. Well, maybe I should be because I don't know if it's good music because this is the thing that I'm wondering. I literally cannot judge if it's good music because it's so locked in to my brain from these formative years when I would listen to it when I was, you know, that that album came out when I was 19. Mm. Like, that was, like, very much, like, I felt very cool for being into that band because it was a very, like, scene cool band I loved that album because I cried to it heaps and it was very cathartic mm. is it good music I actually don't know like well, is what it, is good music? I don't know would I ever like would I like that music if I heard it today for the first time probably not you know is good music good music because you have a lot of good memories to it or a good memory is good memories because you've got good music to it yeah because so much music from my adolescence is tied up in like, I liked it because I would cry to it. I've got Same. to say it's because oh. the music. It's because of the music. I hear you. <laughs> I remember when I got 13th Step by A Perfect Circle and I, I, I used to do these crazy things when I'd find like, I'd get so obsessive when I found the albums that I liked. And there was like, when I first heard 13th Step, 
um, mm. by Perfect Circle. And I would just like I had it on the whole album on repeat for at least a minimum of two weeks. And I would just turn it up and down while I went to school and would just like had it on repeat for 24 oh hours God. a day for at least two weeks. Fall asleep, wake up to it and like uh, because I just felt so um, um, like it was just so emotionally articulate to what I was mm. feeling at the time, even though now when I, and now. The funny thing is, is I've listened to that album many times since then and always found it relevant to whatever pain I'm going through at the time. I can just kind of chuck it on whenever I'm feeling moody. And there yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that, it's like, I really wonder, I almost like some of the music, because like music, you as like myself and you, I know something we share is that music has always been a really important part of my like emotional expression. Mm. I think that music, music helped I think music has helped me get in touch with feelings that I think I naturally would not be in touch with. For me, it's been a massive tool in processing emotions. Mm. Um, yeah, which has been a, a, another thing, which is just like feeling, and especially if you're in rural Australia or something and you're starting to find all these bands, it's really nice to have something that can make you feel like there's other people going through at least other shit as well. Mm. And even the, even um, non-lyrical music, mm. you know, just instrumental music, especially when I was uh, like preteen and teenager, um, you know, I, I, there was a lot of stuff I would listen to because I would like sing along and, and have a cry or feel really good or whatever. But then I think a lot of um, non-music uh, without any vocals, like just instrumental music, it actually feels like an expression of something, you know, mm. especially like a lot of electronic music that I listen to now. If I have a dance, it's it's actually cathartic in this way of like getting out a feeling that I cannot verbalize or or, or put words to. And I think especially when I was growing up, when I think back on um, so, so three, three musics that I've been reminiscing with three musics, three artists I've been reminiscing with, which is like basically my soundtrack from when I was about age 12 to age 14, which is Modest Mouse, The Moon in Antarctica. Oh, that was played at my friend's funeral. Yes. <laughs> like oh, that, that album, attachment to that one. Yeah. play that at my funeral as well, please. That Got album it. is like s still, I think. It was my favorite. I pulled it out of a fucking bargain bin at Tower Records. Didn't even know what it was. And that's what I mean about like remembering it. It's like I pulled that album out of a bargain bin, listened to it, connected with it. And that album basically created my taste in music. Like yeah. if I hadn't pulled that out of the bargain bin, would I have any of the taste in music that I have now? Because I love that album so much that I was like, I want to hear other stuff like this. And then I started to listening to like Built to Spill, for example. And then I started listening to Pavement because I started listening to Built to Spill. And that, you know, like it's all like, was that even, was that fate? Mm. Or like, would well, I have found it anyway? <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Because that 13th Step album I found in like, uh, I used to, my parents owned a music school. And so we had a bass teacher upstairs. And I went, I'd always go through the drawers up there just because I'd hang out there after school and just look up there. But found this album in like, and I'm pretty sure I stole it from this bass teacher, and I've never told him about it. Um, <laughs> but like, stole it. But it was it was completely like 
through that, I found Tool and then all this like progressive yeah. metal and all that, which is the foundation of music that I like how and and as a result, a pillar of my personality over yes. decades of learning about like, yeah. And I wonder the same thing. I'm like, where would I be if I didn't find that goddamn CD? Like, yeah, <laughs> I would be exactly. a completely different person. Or would you have, or would you have eventually found it and then... And you already, it would have still fit in. Like, that's what, that's like what like blows my mind. It's like, did I become this person because this music shaped my personality? Or was I just finding a soundtrack to the personality that I already had? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But like, I, wonder, I guess we can't I, know. I think that there's probably a lot more to be said that you're probably more receptive to music that is mirroring how you feel because we would, you would have heard other music. Like that's around the time that Britney Spears came out. And like, I'm pretty sure... Although morbidly fascinating as seeing all the TVs with her in her tiny schoolgirl outfit. I'd never seen anything like that. The music definitely did not resonate with me in the same way that other stuff did. No. And so I no, think... No, true. Yeah. It's not as if that, that was the only music that we heard ever. And it was a silent void otherwise. So I think there's probably a bit to be said that we're a little bit more receptive to music that speaks to our current experience rather than the other way around. Yes. Maybe? Even if... Know. <laughs> Even if you only picked it because you like the cover, <laughs> the cover oh, art. Oh, <laughs> that's the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Just to close off this episode on memory, we've got a few questions for each other about memories and remembering. Um, so, Candace, I've got one for you. Have you ever told a lie or an alternative recollection so many times that you forgot it was a lie and it became part of your story? Uh, uh, yes, is the short answer. Um, a lot, actually. Uh, and, not, and not anymore. Definitely not anymore. Um, but when I moved, I moved around school a lot. I went to, I changed school 12 different times and went to nine different schools and only got to like year 11. I didn't even get to year 12. So that was a lot of moving around and part like sometimes it was three schools in one year. And so I kind of got into this mindset of let's just see what people will remember and see what the fuck goes on. And so one at one school, it's so stupid. Now that I'm thinking about it, I just obnoxiously told everybody I was in the matrix three and I like, <laughs> I like went to town and I just like, just cause I'd come from this performing arts school in Sydney that had had auditions to be in the matrix three. And they also had auditions for like, um, the Peter Pan that was still that Nikki Webster that like was there. It was like actually a to do. So I took what I thought was artistic liberty down to country Victoria and told everybody that I was in the Matrix 3. They're not like, can you see you in the, can you see you in the um, screen? No. Are you in the credits? No, but I'm in there. I just wanted to see how much it like could permeate this kind of thing. And then years later, and one of my really good friends, and I haven't known how to tell him, but now he's gonna find out. Just like last year, he introduced me to somebody. He was like, this is Candace, she was in the matrix. And I'm like, shit, shit, I don't know how to say, I don't know how to say that I was an asshole teenager. Like, <laughs> but I also in my head justified it. Cause I'm like, you, I've told you, you can't see me in the movie and that my name isn't in the credits. So if you honestly believe that, it's your own fault. That's, but that's now, what I was going to say. <laughs> 
Like, yep. shame on him for continuing to believe that, right? Like, I think, <laughs> and you know, no it's turned checking. out like he's actually been now, he's actually been in an amazing movie with A less celebrities and actually is in there. And oh, I wow. It's like, yeah. It's so like, he, he maybe I'm knows how the movie works. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, and like, honestly, it does happen. I think, like, uh, the whole lying thing, it was just really hard to find an identity. And I think that's what's something that people really don't want to talk about a lot is lying, especially through adolescence. And I really admire people that really got by without it being a thing. But I think like there's so many factors that contribute to people becoming liars through adolescence. And it's really embarrassing and really cringy because it should be. It's fucking horrible behavior. And if you (laughs) haven't grown out of it by the age of 20, you're a dumbass. But like I can, I also have quite a bit of sympathy for people. Like I can understand the whole like trying to move in, like Mm. uh, trying to fit in, moving somewhere and trying to like reinvent yourself as something that's not necessarily true, but something that you were kind of striving towards. And it's not the worst thing in the world, but don't do it. <laughs> well, you know, it's like, who, who did that hurt? You know, that lie, who did that actually hurt? No one, you know, it was- Except it, myself. Yeah, now, that's right. I have to tell everybody <laughs> that and I look, wasn't in the matrix. <laughs> and the shame that you should feel from not being in the matrix is just it's true. really, no, I'm joking. Cause I relate, like it, I think that as a, as a former and still uh, resisting the urge to lie sometimes to make yourself look better. It's really hard. I totally agree when you're young and you just, you want an identity and you feel like your life is not, I think, I think a lot, you know, like probably you and I both consumed a lot of media when we were young. I mean, I still consume it a lot, a lot of media and, and different ways, but I kind of lived, I kind of lived a little bit more in my own head just because I really didn't have that many, friends I was kind of moved around a lot so I was a lot more like nomadic and just had and yeah. did consume media of these things in Disney and all the and Nick at Night that had all these friends and were just mm. super cool and had mad adventures and here I was watching Disney and Nick at Night where yeah. are the adventures at? <laughs> yeah like you look you look around and you think that people are living these really exciting lives and that you have to have something that makes you special you know mm. I mean when I first went to college <laughs> in America, I told everyone that I had, well, I told a few little porcupines, porcupines when I first got there. Um, the least of which being that I was a lot, was a longtime vegetarian, which I had never been, but I went to this very hippie school and felt like I needed that to sort of prove my credentials as a hippie. Um, And then, you know, shortly after that was getting tempted by all the delicious food in our cafeteria and basically had to just stop hanging out with people because I wanted to eat meat sandwiches. And then I was like, well, I guess I just can't be your friend anymore because I'm so embarrassed by my lie. I am vegetarian. I just eat meat because like, I like to taste. So it's fine. (laughs) <laughs> no, this is organic meat. It's fine. Oh yeah, no, I said I've been a vegetarian for seven years, but now I'm stoned and I'm not anymore. Like, <laughs> and I also, like, oh, go please. Oh, I was going to say I also told people that I had done a study abroad in France over one summer, mm. when I had just gone to France with my family, which, like, is also very exciting. But in my mind, that wasn't exciting enough. That like. As a teenager, I got to go on this trip with my family to Europe, which 
so many people do not get to get to experience, but I think my perspective was so slanted from being really privileged that I didn't think that was a cool enough story. It had to be, oh no, I did a language exchange there. And oh, you know, I stayed with a French family when really what I was doing was visiting the French exchange student that my family had and we just stayed at their house, but I embellished it to make it a more exciting story and kind of forgot that that's not actually what happened for a long time and <laughs> repeated that lie enough times that I had to catch myself. I think when I was speaking to my parents once and I said something like, oh, you know, when I did my French exchange and they were like, what are yeah. you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you never went on a French exchange. <laughs> Have you ever had your mom or dad like embellish your achievements in front of you as oh, bragging stuff? That one's uncomfortable. <laughs> How great is that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, this is she plays piano, bass, drums, guitar. <laughs> mom, I don't. <laughs> oh my God. Or like having that, you know, when I was sort of floundering in my mid twenties and um, basically just um, working as a waitress to support my partying career and mm. having no ambition to do anything else. And I would go back to the States to visit my family and my parents would be talking to their friends or other family members and really talking up my waitress job as well, you know, she's, she's like the lead waitress at this restaurant. It's like, okay, like, I know <laughs> that you want to make it sound like I'm doing something really exciting, <laughs> but it's not. And let's just own that right now. <laughs> yeah. What's your next Thank question? You. <laughs> well, my question, my next question is the flip side of your question, me darling, Merida Violet. Have you been convinced of a mem memory only to find that it was actually false? Oh, so I actually just, I brought this up last night with Callum, um, my partner. My partner. My partner. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was telling him how when I was in school, there was a family whose last name was Trout and there were three kids and their names were River, Rainbow, and I think the third one's name was Spring. And Callum mm -hmm. was like, so their names were River Trout, Rainbow Trout, and Spring Trout. And, and as I was, the words were coming out of my mouth, I started to realize that it was very high probability that that was some sort of urban legend <laughs> because my only recollection of even where I learned that was from a child at my babysitter's house that burned into my memory for some reason, this story about these horrible parents who named their children after fish. <laughs> I would be willing to like, my mom had a similar story about how she knew a guy called first name Wayne, last name Kerr, K-A-K-E-R-R. <laughs> And I remember telling our friends that because I said it with the unwavering confidence that this has to be true. And a lot of people were like, I doubt that's true. And now that I'm older, I reckon that it's probably more true than not. Think about how many names there are. There has to be a Wayne Kerr somewhere. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I and just- And it probably has to be a rainbow trout, at least in the water. <laughs> I mean, it does seem like something a person would do. I mean, there, there is a, one of my absolute favorite journalists name is Crystal Ball. That's her God-given name, Crystal Ball. And she's a fucking badass. You guys should watch her oh. on, on the hill. But um, that's her real name. Like, she's a millennial. <laughs> what about like the Winter Olympian called Misty Hyman? She's a, <laughs> she's a favorite. She's a, <laughs> the Winter Olymp Olympian from the 80s called Misty Hyman. Oh my God. This is quality content that people Wait, love. 
did she did she work with Fanny Schmeller, the German <laughs> pole vaulter or something did like I that? Fanny Schmeller. <laughs> no, no, because Fanny, it's Fanny Schmeller's pole vaulting. That's a summer sport. Um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's Sorry, Misty Hyman, I think was a, like either a skier or a skater. Oh my God. Um, what's you, what, what did you have in mind when you asked that question? Do you have something that you, um, had been told was not true? Really? Um, not particularly. It's just that my earliest memory is one that I'm, I'm, I know to be false, which is that like my earliest memory, because my mom had this go-to winter outfit, which I loved and still do. It's like a black, okay, think early 90s, um, power, power woman running like a business store, but like thinking she's like cool as shit and she really is because she's in a rural town and not many people have big red jackets, I imagine. I don't know. Shoulder anyway, pads? Shoulder pads. Fluffy, <laughs> feathered, blonde hair, lick a beautiful red lipstick. Um, black turtleneck vivid red coat, a gold um, heart locket thing. And I remember very clearly cuddling up under this coat a lot, um, smelling the red door perfume that my mum would use to and playing with this locket. Um, but I remember it from a third person perspective. Oh, like you're watching yeah. someone do it. Yeah. And I can't find any photos of that, but I definitely know that that um, that it, I definitely know that it happened heaps of times just because, um, the elements were all there and it's not a particularly significant memory, but just more yeah. that something that happened really often because I remember like, it was just, I loved, you know, when your parents had something that they were like, I loved getting in that big coat. Cause it was like, mm -mm -mm. but, um, yeah, but I, but all my memories from it, are remembering it from a third, uh, third party point of view. Do you think it's a, maybe there was a photo of you doing that, that you've seen, I, could very well be, but yeah. I haven't found one. I haven't found yeah. one and I can't. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe I just know what it would look like. I feel like a lot of young, you know, really early memories are like that for me as well. Like I can, you know, you have the sort of those funny little quaint stories that little kids have done that maybe your family would always tell at Christmas with the you know, rest of the family, like all oh, the time when I got tangled up in the Christmas lights and pulled the Christmas tree down on top of mm -hmm. myself, which I feel like I have this distinctive memory of being wrapped up in Christmas lights and feeling the spikes of the fake Christmas tree fall back down on me. But mm -hmm. like I was two years old and there's a really high likelihood that I don't actually remember that, that it's just a story that's been in my family that's been sold so, told so many times that I've imagined what the feeling of being wrapped up in Christmas lights was, but there's no way that I actually remember the real event, you know? Yeah. And I'd imagine your parents would, that'd be some pretty questionable parenting behavior yeah, to tie was, up to a two-year-old in Christmas. I think it was something that I maybe did myself. Not really sure. Oh, no. Mom and dad, you can, you can tell me if this is what really happened in the story. I knew it was something about me being tangled in Christmas lights and pulling the Christmas tree over. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Oh, oh, being a kid. Yes. Um, uh, what's your next question? Well, I wanted to ask, um, and this is just kind of a broad question, but um, uh, I'm abroad. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm a sassy broad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is a question for broads only, okay? Yeah, um, bitches. No, I'm um, what period, if any, in your life are you most nostalgic for? And if you could go back to that time now, 
do you think you would still feel so fondly about it? Or do you think that the fondness is about the sort of perspective of realizing now that things were good back then, but you didn't realize they were good back then in the moment? That's kind of what I'm getting at. Uh, like, well, one, I don't really like, I'm not a particularly sentimental person. I don't spend time longing for certain times or periods. Um, especially because, especially, I, and now that I kind of think of it, like a lot of my childhood and adolescence was really chaotic and really um, quite scary at a lot of times. So, and really confusing. And so for me, really what I would long for are the times when I was like solo traveling the year I took like the years that I took um, to just kind of piss off and I am nostalgic for that but not in a way that would make me want to go back but in a way that makes me want to do it again and form the same experience with different places mm. and not even the same experience but the different feel like the same feeling with different experiences so I guess I do think back, like, because I'm just constantly like, God, I can't wait to, like, see the world or I can't wait to do things or I can't wait to just have a great goddamn day. I'm really not someone that looks back too much, which is probably why I make so many mistakes. On the <laughs> <laughs> Fuck analysis. It's for, it's for poor people. <laughs> but you know what else you probably don't feel is regret, which is, I think, what a lot of people oh, feel. Oh, I definitely look feel regret. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about that. I definitely feel no. Actually, no. I'm being I'm being self deprecating, uh, deprecating. I guess I do feel regret occasionally, but kind of move through it into a place. I'm I'm kind of a get the candory bone out and be like regret. All right. Well, then how do we make it not happen again? And kind That's of right. move on in a lot more. I look for as my dad would say. That's the reason that we have large windscreens and small review, um, review mirrors. Look I love that. I know, me love too. It. That's so good. Yeah, I feel like you? I, Ooh, I feel, no, that's okay. I feel pretty similar to you. I think, um, which we discussed before on this topic, I think I haven't done a lot of, uh, you know, looking back, feeling nostalgic much in my life until kind of recently. Um, and I think that, most of the periods that now I feel nostalgic for, I, I know 100% that in the moment, I was not thinking that I was having a peak experience. <laughs> so, you know, I think particularly in um, a lot of my traveling days, it's, you know, I, I don't want to feel regret, but I know so much of it was tinged with like, I mean, I think the reason I wanted to travel was because I was unhappy with myself and I wanted to find myself and I wanted to find more of an identity. And so in doing that, I wasn't really very happy a lot of the times when I was having these experiences that now I look back on them and go, fuck, you did a 23-day hike in the Himalayas and you know, climbed one of the highest peaks in the world or passes in the world, not peaks, I'm not a mountain climber. But, you know, I did the Annapurna circuit. It was a 23-day hike. You know, you That's did awesome. that. It's so yeah. awesome. You know, I'm going to, those photos that I have from that and the stories that I have from that, that absolutely is in like a top five peak experience in my brain. But, and I wish that I could go back to that time and experience it again as the person that I am now, rather than being the very confused and like, Saturn returnsy experience that it was when I was having it, you know? Well, the beauty, the beauty is, is that you can. 
that's yeah. the thing. And that's kind of like where my default mind is, is like a lot of the time it's like, if you didn't like something, that's a, like, apart from the whole pandemic, but like, if it wasn't for that, you can go back, you can do things again and like um, redo it with the thing and look like what, a, what every day, every day, what a marvelous day to marvel yeah. at how much progress you've made. Who cares? Like, yeah. and you probably uh, like, I don't know is it possible to do, do anything? Like you can't, ah, what am I trying to say? Well, I think it's, it's like, about the, pre- the the practice of being in the present moment, I think is a lot of it. Totally. You know, it's sort of you're if you're, if you're constantly sort of stuck between the past and the future and you're never thinking about the present or just existing in the present, then everything you do is going to either be something that you regret in hindsight or something that you that like makes you feel tumultuous in the in the present moment you know like you're you're never going to be appreciating anything because you're not really there and that's and yeah okay I was going to say that's sort of what I want to make sure that I bring into my everyday life now like even this moment while we're recording we're so exciting to be doing this project together and I'm trying to savor every moment of it so that if in 10 years I look back on it I'm like fuck yeah I savored every last drop of that cool experience you know you know but savoring doesn't mean you have to enjoy it at all and a lot of the time Mm -hmm. the best um the best sort of experience is in our lives because they were hard Mm. like they because they were uncomfortable at the time and like I, yeah, traveling and all that kind of stuff. I got myself in some really dodgy situations. Um, and I got through them. And looking back, it's like I would never want to relive that particular night again. But mm-hmm. how much does it kick us? And I feel amazing that I got through that. That's awesome. Yeah. Most of the time, like the most informative and transformative sort of experience are not are not easy and they're not enjoyable. <laughs> no, and, and I think that's like a good point too, is that um, most of the things I feel nostalgic for aren't even about the circumstances of the event. It's more about the mindset I was in when I was experiencing it. So it's like when I think on, you know, my favorite, um, my best social experiences, you know, with friends, like, you know, nights when you've gone out and you've really made a really good connection with a new friend and you've chatted all night long and you feel a buzzing high of like connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I can have that experience again because it was just a state of mind. It was just about being open and uninhibited in that space when, you know, you were meeting a new friend or when you're young and you're constantly meeting lots of new people, which was a lot of my traveling experience. And I think that's why I loved it so much just because I'm not traveling and moving around and meeting new people all the time doesn't mean that I can't still feel that excitement of connection with someone and that sort of um, uh, like wide-eyed kind of um, awe at the world and at people, you know? Um, Mm. So it's like, you don't have to be doing something new to have a new mindset when you're experiencing something as well, which is something I try to take into my daily life for whether or not it works. (laughs) (laughs) did you have one more yes i do yes (laughs) i do all right let's say that in some sort of futurama-esque um parallel universe and you can pay five hundred dollars to have whatever and however memories deleted from your brain would you do it 
Oh, this is, is like things. Yeah, you don't have to say the details if it's like yeah. super cringy or anything. But is it like and feel free? But would you do it in like and lose everything that could have possibly been learnt from from that? Basically, like, would you and and you know, like, sort of the um, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Exactly. Question. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, sorry, I couldn't think of the name of that movie for a second. Um, okay, definitely not like a person mm. <laughs> or anything like that, but I think, so I had this experience, I'm happy to talk about it, um, that I think it's one of those experiences that I, I didn't learn anything because there was no lesson for me to learn. And it only makes me feel very cringy and yuck when I think of it, which is, um, it would actually be an entire person, I think. <laughs> but basically, <laughs> when I was, I'm pretty confident he'll never hear this. And if he does, he gets to know this. When, when I was 21, I took, it was my last year of uni, and I took the semester off because um, I was ahead in my credit, so I could still graduate on time. And I took the semester off. It was the fall of, in America, the fall of 2008, when Obama was running for election. So I took the semester off. I had an internship at this um, lobbying, education lobbying company in DC. And um, I also worked on Obama's campaign. So I was like a canvasser. So in working on the Obama campaign in Virginia, there was this guy who was really well connected in the Democratic Party. And he was probably about my dad's age. So 40 years older than me, at least. And I, <clears throat> I was 21. And he was really connected and I had these political aspirations. So I thought this is someone that I should really like try to kind of connect with. So, and I just had it from a purely like naive networking perspective, you know? And so he was um, in my team for when we were doing canvassing, we basically spent like three months together doing all this canvassing work. And on the night that Obama got elected, like me and him and then two of my girlfriends from high school all hung out the whole night, got really drunk, drove around Washington, D.C., like went to the White House to like throw rocks at George Bush. It was a fucking amazing night. And then fun it was fuck. so it was so much fun. That's a that was a peak experience for me. I'd say that night in D.C. when Obama got elected. Really fucking cool. I'm so glad I, I was there. I can't believe you got that. to throw rocks at the White House. Yeah, it was oh, so great. There do was that nowadays. There was like <laughs> thousands of people there chanting, pack your shit. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It was anyway. so good. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, so that night ended with he lived really close to the city and I was with a girlfriend and we all went back to his house and stayed there that night. Um, you know, nothing weird, you know, at all that I picked up on. But after, but then our canvassing was done, you know, because the election was over and he kept in touch with me and he would basically, we would, I was working in DC. It was nearby where he worked. So he would meet me for lunch and we would like go out and have lunch and just talk about like, political stuff and my political aspirations and whatever. Um, and then I just never, ever picked up on that he was a creep and mm. that he was creeping on me, basically. I never picked up on this the whole time. And then finally, he took me out to lunch one day on my day off, or no, sorry, in the middle of the work day. So I didn't have a day off. So I only had like 30 minutes for a lunch break or something. He took me to this really nice place in DC and, um, at the end of the dinner brought out like, oh, it's like, I've never said this out loud before. He like brought out this little cake and like a card that basically said he was in love with me. And he thought that, you know, 
I was an amazing young woman and blah, you know, and it was like, he's 40 years older than me. I was like in my early twenties and I was so embarrassed and didn't know what to do that I just kind of like looked at him and stood up and walked out and just like, didn't say anything. And then just mm. blocked his number and never talked to him again. Mm. But like that whole experience, like what, what am I supposed to learn from that experience? And even now when I think back on it, I just, I feel so sorry for him, which is not the way that I should be feeling about that. I just feel very sad for him. And I feel like sad that I, that he has to be lonely and that like, I couldn't be the one to like be there for him when really it was like fucking inappropriate, you know? <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of, I, so yes, I would erase him from my memory and I would erase that whole experience from my memory because those wonderful experiences of that night can exist without him in it, you know? Mm. Anyway, that was a really long story. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Um, I love that you got to throw rocks at the White House. I don't know why that stood out for me. It's just such a liberating experience. so good. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But yeah, I don't know. Would you? Do you have anything like that? Not, uh, like, I don't think there's any people or experiences, but there's definitely a lot of idle time that I've, like, like, I was just thinking before when I, like, when I wrote that question, because I asked myself internally, not out loud, um, if there was anything, and it's mainly just the kind of time that I've spent doing shit that I've not retained anything like reading the ingredients on the back of shampoo bottles because I didn't take a book into the toilet. I don't know what any of it, I still don't, I've, I've spent like, I reckon at least two hours over my whole life just reading like ingredients that are in toiletry products. And I could not identify or tell you what a single one of those words is except water um, is ever since then. And so I think that that time, I think really if I could clean out like the dumb files in my brain and make new like room for new fancy information. I would, but I don't think it works like that. <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah. Like clear out all of the stupid, like fun facts that I've got in there and replace them with like actually helpful stuff. <laughs> but that's as I was like, I like the fun facts though. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. It's like uh, trawling through the thing. That was a very specific thing because I haven't learned any of it, but I wouldn't give up the ridiculous knowledge or all the stupid Saturday cartoons, like my super Lamy, all that kind of stuff. I love all that stuff and would not I'd keep it in my brain so that I have it there for when I get Alzheimer's and I regress back into a second childhood, I'll be able to remember my, favorite cartoons it'll yeah. it's a plan i have it's my <laughs> when you get like dementia control, yeah it's to control my dementia content to make sure that i have good cartoons that's so that are, <laughs> like our oh, real God. monsters and marsupilami coming yes. at you in yes. <laughs> uh, i don't know what marsupilami is but it sounds like a combination of salami and marsupial and i'm totally here for it that's great nobody knows what it is and that's kind of why i've said it now is because <clears throat> if you do remember marsupilami let me know so i don't so i can confirm that i'm not just making it up could, i could have like actually come up with this whole cartoon show that I thought was amazing. And it turns out that it just needs to be written. But it's, <laughs> it's about um, a sort of tree leopard with a massive like kilometer long tail that he uses. And I don't remember anything that he did. He just had a great tail. <laughs> um, you know what? I probably would delete that. <laughs> <laughs> just fragments of like a TV show. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of useless information in there, but I think that well, ultimately 
I think we both agree that there's no substantive experiences that we would want to delete from our memories, no matter how painful they are. Even that story I just told, I don't know, maybe there is something I learned from it, which is just like, don't trust men. But that's what, like, there's mm. definitely a vibe that you would have picked up more of because of that situation. And even like, even a bunch of, um, experiences that aren't substantial i'm super grateful for because they've they play weird parts in like the elements of your personality and so don't really i don't think that i would bleach any part of my brain out no no i think that it's all there to serve a purpose i mean what are what are we but our an accumulation of all of our experiences and all of the people we've met you know and if we weren't meant to remember it then why do we have memories mother yeah it'll be that so that about does it if you have any thoughts on anything that we've talked about today any questions any comments stories or any good lies please send them through to 0499 860 or shoot us an email at do you ever think about mail at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you really we would once again those details are 0499 860 or do you ever think about mail at gmail.com and as always a huge thank you to our number one production engineer scotty and the fabulous slum one for our cover art and graphic design You can find Slum One on Instagram at S-L-U-M underscore O-N-E. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next week with some more food for thought. Stay safe out there. We love you.